Joe Goodfellow was born and spent his life in Pitlochry. Eddie Rose spoke at his funeral to celebrate Joe's life and especially his time as a drum major in many different pipe bands. Drum major Joe Goodfellow. We could be here for a week recalling the funny times with Joe. He was born on Balna Drum Terrace to hard-working parents. His dad was a coalman. He spent his youth working the farm, looking after the, the cattle and, and the tatty planting and the harvests, of course. And when he was asked by the farmer, or he asked the farmer himself, how do you think I'll do in the land? He says, I'm sorry, son, we've got stuff for that. He says that's when he went to work for Tayside Region as a snowplow driver. In those days, they started at five o'clock in the morning and he would pick up his mate, the late Roland Robertson. Off they would go and clear all the roads in Pitlochry and then go up to Kinloch Rannach. They would come back to Pitlochry and do the same thing again. And one morning, in a very heavy blizzard, wearing his orange overalls, he was making his way to, with his car to collect the snowplough. A policeman stopped him and, for a random breath test. He said, blow into this bag, said the policeman. Joe replied, why? Is your chips hot? <laughs> that was Joe. In those days, no heaters in the cabs or the lorries. They had to burn newspapers uh, to clear the windscreen. So they always bought the sun and something to read. And uh, <laughs> he was travelling over to Carmichael one morning with another colleague, the late Lackie Fulton, when they saw a head above the snow. Joe stopped and he said, hang on, mate. I'll get a shuffle and dig you out. The guy said, well, you better get a big shuffle because I'm standing on a horse. <laughs> when he retired from the council, he was indebted with complaints about the ungritted roads that Joe had been doing for years as part of his set route. Drums, of course, was his life. As a child, he wanted to play the piano, but his mother couldn't afford the lessons, so he took up the drums buying his first kit for 10 bob a week. And as years went on, of course, Joe always had the best of drum kits at all times. And he also had the best hi-fi systems as well. He was right into hi-fi systems. I suspect nearly everyone here today has heard Joe in his various, or her various bands playing on every occasion, weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, People have danced to Cayley's with Joe. Hogmanay's even played at the first street party in the millennium here in Pirlochry. And Robert Burns Nights, of course, as well. For 18 years, he played with Grant Donald in Aberfeldy. Every, Sunday, every Saturday night, rather. Uh, every Saturday night, he played in Aberfeldy with Grant Donald. He played with many other bands over the years. Gordon Patillo, Jimmy Lindsay... Sandy Lindsay, Duncan Black, Jimmy Cassidy, Margaret Cameron, and Scotch in the Box, and many, many more. It was one night at the distillery Cayley with Jimmy Lindsay, Winnie Sinclair, and myself. And I introduced them to the guests that we were playing to, and I said, Winifred Sinclair on piano, and we have 
Joe Goodfellow on drums, he's a drum major. And Joe quickly corrected me and said, I am the drum major. <laughs> With a smile on his face. I also, one night he was playing with Duncan Black and he played a drum solo. And this guy came up at the end, he said, Joe, that was marvellous, he said. What a drum solo that was. What did you call it? He says, burning sticks. <laughs> that was his answer to the guy. Joe joined the Vale of Athol Pipe Band when he was nine years of age. He learned to play tenor drum, side drum and bass drum. And after he learned his craft, he became drum major. And he worked with pipe majors Burney, Alan, late Alan Cameron, and Ian Duncan. I first met Joe in 1965 when he was drum major with the Vale of Athol Pipe Band. We used to do Highland Nights in the town hall here in Perlochry. And he wore a white tunic then, and it was really, we found out later, it was a painter's jacket cut down. <laughs> because the Vale couldn't afford the uniforms that they have nowadays. He went to join the Athol Highlanders and he became their first drum major and he gave them 39 years service, travelling the world in places like America, twice in America, France, Germany and South Africa. Also appearing at the Commonwealth Games, Glasgow Highland Games, Braemar Highland Games, Oban Games and many, many more. On a trip to America, Himself and drum major Alistair Walker was sharing a room. And in the room that they went into this particular night only had a double bed. So they both climbed into the double bed and it broke. <laughs> so they had to prop it up with books for the rest of the, of the session. But there we are. But uh, that, that was, was, was him. And Joe's idol, of course, was Tom Robinson. I think I've got the name right. He was a military drum tutor that was brought into the Athol Highlanders to train all the young drummers. And Joe, to Joe, this was his hero. He, he really watched every move that he made. He also told the story when he was a young boy at Balnadrum that the late Sir Jimmy Shan drove up to his house and said, I believe you play the drums, young man. And he said, yes. He says, have you got a set of drumsticks? He said, yes. He said, could you do a, a six eight on top of the bonnet of my car? And he did. He did a six eight in the bottom of the car. And he says, that'll do for me, son. As Jimmy always called everybody's son. He says, that'll do for me, son. And uh, he took him up north to play with him. Another story was one night at a Highland night in Perlocry, one of the last Highland nights of the season. It was Joe's birthday. They marched up the street. And when they got to Bonnet Hill Road, all the band decided to turn right. And all he could hear was the band getting quieter and quieter <laughs> and quieter. But a true professional, he did not turn round. He was left marching to Fisher's on his own. <laughs> his face was as red as his tunic. In his youth, he won the Scottish Championship for the maze uh, at the Old Meldrum Highland Games and collected his prize from Diana Doors. He also uh, became drum major of the Pitlochry and Blair Athol Pipe Band and led them to a first prize for marching to the Pitlochry Highland Games. As such was his discipline that all the bands respected him in every way.
His claim to fame was at a Rod Stewart concert at Glasgow. Right at the start of Rod's concert, he came on stage and there was a huge picture of Joe in his number one uniform, right across the back of the whole stage. So it doesn't get any better than that. You could go on forever telling stories about Joe and every day, everyone here, I'm sure, have their own memories of him. He gave his talents to his beloved hometown of Pitlochry and as doing so much for charity and he, had the, he was a big-hearted man. To me, he was a big teddy bear. He walked into a room and the whole place lit up. The amount of people here today paying their respects to this great man sums up how much everyone loved him. Yes, he certainly was the drum major. Rest in peace, Joe. Heaven will now be full of music and laughter. Charis Nixon has written a series of thoughts specially for this programme. Today she talks about little children. The other day, in the course of my Bible reading, I came across the well-known passage in St Matthew's Gospel about children. Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I'd read it many times, of course, but this time it seemed to stand out. What exactly did Christ mean by it? Always before, it's made me remember the rather sickly illustration in the Bible I had as a child of a blonde, blue-eyed Jesus sitting on a rock in a field of daisies surrounded by very clean, neat children of various races gazing adoringly up at him. Verses like this one seem to engender in us a picture of children as sweet and innocent beings, which, as anyone who, like me, has taught for 40 years knows, is far from the case. In fact, if you want to learn about man's inhumanity to man, or even about nature red in tooth and claw, you've only got to take playground duty on a bad day when something dark and wicked seems to stalk among the children on the playing fields. Perhaps Jesus meant that you have to become like very small preschool children before the corruption sets in. But then I think of my friend's two-year-old grandchild, one much given to temper tantrums, being carried against her will up to bed, squirming and kicking in her mother's arms and shrieking, I hate you! I hate you! Now, much as I'd sometimes like to have a temper tantrum when things don't go my way and to lie on the floor screaming, I know it isn't the behaviour for an adult to copy. So, I made myself sit down and think the verses through. In what ways are we to become like little children? It occurred to me that children, unless they come from extremely dysfunctional families, usually trust the adults who look after them to do their best for them. Tiny ones run to mummy to kiss it better. Older ones share their problems and their triumphs. Children find it easy to say sorry. Are we to come to God our Father just like this, absolutely sure of his love for us, his forgiveness, and of his desire to provide whatever is best for us? Is simple trust the key to the kingdom of heaven? 
That's hard for us adults who've learnt that life can be an unfair and painful business. We want answers to fundamental questions like why do bad things happen to good people? We want to understand the mysteries of grace and salvation. And of course, our adult intellect should wrestle with such questions in the light of what the Bible and commentaries on, us, on it tell us. But to some problems, like the problem of pain, we'll find no easy answers. When Job, in the midst of appalling suffering, sought answers from God, he received none. Instead, God revealed himself to Job in all his great creative power and majesty, more or less saying, if I have power like this, don't you think you should trust me to know what I'm doing? A child trusts like, like this. A child accepts that there are some things it will only understand when it's older, and some loads that are simply too heavy for it until it's bigger and stronger. Should we become like children in this, accepting that there are things of the spirit that our finite minds will never grasp until Christ comes again in glory and all will be made plain? As St Paul puts it, now we see as if through a clouded glass, then and only then will we see clearly. I remembered too a child's capacity for simple joy. Watch a child's face as it eats a favourite food or unwraps a present or sees something amazing in the natural world. A child can lose itself in the joy of the moment without allowing it to be clouded by thoughts that it won't last. And a child knows how to say thank you with spontaneous and rapturous hugs and kisses. Have we adults lost the capacity for unalloyed joy and with it the desire to thank the God who is the ultimate provider of all pleasures? Finally, I remembered a story my friend Pat told me. Pat taught in primary schools for many years and even after retirement returned to the classroom as a supply teacher. She told me that one of her great delights was in storytelling, in watching the children's faces as the plot unfolded. One spring term years ago, she prepared her class of six-year-olds for the story of Easter. Over the weeks, she told them about Jesus and about his healing love. She described how the religious leaders of his day wanted him out of the way. She told them in broad terms what crucifixion meant. Finally, on the last day of term, they sat in a circle at her feet as she described Jesus' last meal with his friends, the agony in the garden, the mockings and the beatings. She built up to her conclusion, and then they crucified him. The buggers, one little boy gasped, and then clapped his hand over his mouth in horror. And this, finally, is what we adults need to recapture. A childlike involvement in all the old, too familiar stories about our Lord so that we feel afresh their wonder and their horror. Then perhaps our response will be as simple and as natural as a child's, and we'll find or rediscover the joy of being a subject in his heavenly kingdom. Sweet bells, sweet chiming
Savior who 
Alan Sorensen is Church of Scotland Minister in Greenock. Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his short God spots, and today he tells us to pray. So what have you got to do today? What? Good grief! All that in one day? Whew! Well, John Wesley once said, I have so much to do that I must spend several hours in prayer before I'm able to do it. I'm afraid to report that Alan Sorensen usually says something like, Oh no, I've got so much to do. Never mind, God's used to me just mumbling a bit while I'm driving along. It doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? I mean, it's not going to make it into the Oxford Dictionary of Quotations, is it? So what's the answer then? Pray, that's the answer. As someone else said, Satan rocks the cradle when we sleep at our devotions. And pray especially that I'll stop just lifting whole pages out of a book of quotations. <laughs> Busy little blessings to you. Jeremy Irons has recorded the Psalms from the authorised version of the Bible. Today we hear Jeremy reading Psalm 131. It's followed by Alison Balsam on the trumpet, playing Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Mary Haddo is Minister of Pitlochry Church of Scotland. Today she's got a story for us about paintings and priorities at Christmas. A wealthy man and his son loved to collect rare works of art. They had everything in their collection from Picasso to Raphael. They would often sit together and admire the great works of art. In 1914, as winter approached, war engulfed the nation and the young man was called up to serve his country. 
After only a few short weeks, his father received a telegram, a telegram that he'd been dreading. His beloved son had been killed in action, saving the life of a friend. About a month later, on Christmas morning, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood at the door with a large package in his hands. He said, Sir, you don't know me, but I'm the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He often talked about you and your love for art. And then the young man held out his package. I know this isn't much, he said. I'm not really a great artist, but I want you to have this. The father opened the package, and it was a portrait of his son painted by the young man. He stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in the painting. The father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes filled with tears. He thanked the young man and he offered to pay for the picture. Oh no, sir, I could never take payment for what your son did for me. It's a gift. The father hung the portrait over his mantle. Then he sat in his chair and spent Christmas gazing at the gift he had been given. And every time visitors came to his home, he took them first to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other great works he had collected. The old man died a few years later. And there was to be a great auction of his paintings, which was to be held on Christmas Day. Art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings, all keen to get that one special one they felt would complete their collection. The auction began with a painting that was not on anyone's list. It was the painting of the old man's son by the young soldier. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid, but the room went silent. Who will open the bidding with 100 pounds? No one spoke. Finally, someone said, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's move on to the good stuff. The auctioneer responded, no, we have to sell this one first. Now who will bid for the sun? There was silence. Then a voice in the back of the room shouted, we didn't come to see this painting. We came to see the Van Goghs and the Rembrandts. But still the auctioneer continued, the sun, the sun, who will take the sun? And finally a voice came. It was the long-time gardener of the man and the son, and he said, I'll give you £10 for the painting, because being a poor man, it was all he could afford. We have 10 an opening bid. Who'll give me 20 Give it to him for 10 Let's see the masters. 10 is the bid. Won't someone bid 20 The crowd was becoming angry. They didn't want the picture of the sun. They wanted the more worthy investments for their collections. The auctioneer said, going once, going twice, gone. And the gavel fell. Cheers filled the room and someone exclaimed, now we can bid on the real treasures. The auctioneer 
looked around the room filled with people and then announced that the auction was over. Everyone was stunned. Someone spoke up and said, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a painting of the old man's son. There are millions of pounds worth of art still in here. What's going on? The auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the old man's will, only the painting of the son would be auctioned. And whoever took the son would inherit the entire estate, including all the other paintings. The man who took the son gets everything. 2,000 years ago, God gave his son. And much like the auctioneer, his message today is, the son, the son, who will take the son? Because you see, whoever takes the son gets everything. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home was there found no room for thy holy nativity. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, proclaiming thy royal degree. But of lowly birth didst thou come to earth, and in great humility. Oh, come to my heart, Lord. Jesus, there is room in my heart for Thee. When the heavens shall ring and the angels sing at Thy coming to victory, let Thy voice call me home, sing yet. There is room, there is room at my side for thee. My heart shall rejoice, Lord Jesus, when thou comest and callest for me. When thou comest and callest for me. For unto us a child is born, 
Oh, oh, oh. 